falsehood, courage in the face of danger, and compassion for those who suffer. We pray for forgiveness where our nation has forgotten you, where we have strayed far from your commandments and moral standards. Save us from ourselves, from our pride, from our lust, from our godlessness, from our obsession with the temporal over the eternal. For our men and women who place themselves in harm's way, for the cause of freedom and justice, we pray for them to have courage and duty, a new awareness of your salvation, and safe return to home and loved ones. God bless America with righteousness, which alone exalts a nation. God bless America with compassion to reach out to those who suffer. God bless America with a firm faith that we may know above all else your will and strength to confront the dangers, both physical and moral, that beset our nation and world. In this hour, we reaffirm our trust in you our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
This morning we'll be administering the sacrament of infant baptism to Christopher Lawrence Howard. He's the son of Chris and Lisa Howard. It's always uh, proper and required of us that are uh, pastors in the Presbyterian Church in America to give a brief word of explanation because infant baptism can be so easily misunderstood. It's rooted in the Old Testament in the covenant that God made with Abraham. We find that in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and he, he gave him a, a covenant that he would be his God and the God of his children and his children's children. And then he, uh, in Genesis 17, gave a sign for those covenant children, and that was a sign of circumcision. When we come to the New Testament times, that sign was changed to baptism. And the covenant was expanded to all people through faith in Christ. Uh, baptism, we don't think, uh, is magical in the sense that it in and of itself does not impart or guarantee eternal life, but it is a seal and a sign of our union with Christ, of, of forgiveness of sins, of regeneration, uh, of the cleansing of sin by the blood and the merits of Christ, and our rising from sin to newness of life. There are many promises in the Bible given to believers that pertain to their children. Here are some of those from the Old Testament and the New. For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call unto him. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. Uh, what the baptism symbolizes is that young Christopher now is, uh, well, he goes by Wren. Wren is a member uh, of God's household of faith, of the church. But when he reaches an age of understanding and discretion, then he must decide whether to exercise faith and repentance in Christ and keep the covenant or to reject Christ and be a covenant breaker. We believe it's proper to have baptisms in the worship service uh, rather than just a private ceremony so that those of us who have taken the same vows, either upon our baptism or as parents that have had our children baptized, that we can hear the vows that Chris and Lisa will reaffirm today, and we can recommit ourselves to those as well. And so we view this as a covenant, um, as a covenant sacrament. And Chris and Lisa, obviously, it's, it's your privilege to love and to care for him and to train him in righteousness and the scriptures and to live before him in a way that pleases Christ. Let me ask you these questions again that you've answered before. But now, in Christopher's case, do you acknowledge your child's need, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, do you? Do you claim God's covenant promises in his behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do for your own, do you? And do you now, and this is a hard one, parents, do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before him a godly example, that you will pray with and for him, and that you will teach him the doctrines of Christianity, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, do you? And to members here of First Presbyterian Church, and a question to be taken very seriously, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child? If so, will you raise your hand? Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask now your blessing and presence on this sacrament of baptism that you have ordained, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a special little guy right here. Christopher Lawrence Howard.
I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, you tell us in Psalm 139 that that Christopher here is fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have knit him together in his mother's womb, and that all of his days are laid bare before you. We pray for your hand to be mightily upon him and upon Chris and Lisa and their family. We pray that you would protect him and provide, that you would work in his life spiritually and physically to make him the man you want him to be. We pray that at an early age that he would come to know faith, come to know, have faith in Christ as his Redeemer, that he would see his need, the same need that we all have, that we are sinners and we need to be forgiven, and that his forgiveness would be found in Christ. We pray for your special blessing on this extended family, that you would uh, strengthen them and guide them and direct them. May they be assured of your presence. May they be assured of your comfort. May you meet their needs in every sense of the word. And we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the supportive fellowship and the community of faith. In Christ's name, amen. Let's unite together in prayer. God of the nations, we bless your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are our God, and through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and grafting us into Christ, we are your people. You are our trust. We love you. We pray that you would continue your blessings upon us, your church. We pray that we as Christians in our own land would be a blessing to our nation now and forever. We thank you that as we have looked to you in the past and in the present and we look to you in the future, we know that we will never be disappointed by you. You are the same. You are trustworthy You are the faithful God. You are the God who keeps your covenant to a thousand generations. And we give thanks to you and to your holy name for you are great and you are greatly to be praised. We ask that you would be pleased to pour out your Holy Spirit upon the Church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. We pray that you would be pleased to convert the nations to Christ as you have sent him into the world because you love the world and as he is the savior of the world, we pray that you would honor your son by bringing the world to him. We pray for revival in our own nation. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in the churches of our nation, in our own hearts, that we would be revived and strengthened and blessed and grow spiritually in order that we might truly make a difference in our world, in our lifetime. Now, Father, we pray for little Wren and we pray for the other youth that are of our church and we pray that you would bring them to Christ. We pray for those that are out of school over the summer that 
you would keep them safe in all the activities of our church that we provide for them, and may all of their activities draw them closer to you and to one another. We pray for the youth of campus clubs as they meet here in our facilities throughout the week. Father, that this would be a great blessing in their lives as they are a great blessing to us in the presence that they bring, the life that they bring to this facility all throughout these weeks of the summer. Bring these children to faith and mature leaders out of this group of campus club young people and strong tower young people to make a great impact in Macon. We pray that we may all through this summer grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would be with the suffering in our church, those who are homebound, those who are in uh, nursing facilities, those who are in very perilous physical condition, that you would be with them that you would be their God, their presence, their help, their comfort. And Father, we pray again for those who are the men that are directly connected to the families of our church that are serving in the military. We pray that you would keep them and preserve them. And Father, bless the continued worship of this service. Accept it and perfect it through Christ Jesus and draw us ever nearer to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
continue to uh, worship now with the giving of our uh, tithes and offerings. As the ushers come forward to receive those, if you wouldn't mind taking a pad of friendship at the end of your pew, if you'd sign it and pass it down so others could sign it as well.
often you should have a prayer guide. Uh, this has uh, been put together by a local group in, in town of believers and a very helpful guide to pray. And we're glad it's in this format where you could put this in your Bible and hopefully use it each day uh, throughout the year. So I hope you'll take this and, and make a practice of praying through it, and you'll also learn a lot who's serving in various offices as well. Right after this service, as we do with every worship service, uh, one of our pastors, in this case John Kinzer, will be available for prayer along with one of our elders. And uh, they meet in a room just up, if you go up the steps behind, out either of these doors, and there's a prayer room right up there at the top of the steps. They'll be there if you'd like to pray. If God's working in your heart in any way, if you uh, are facing decisions, if you just want someone to to pray for you, then uh, come for a few moments. Uh, At this time, let me ask the... uh, the children that will be going to their lesson that they'll come forward and I'll have a prayer with you before you go. Okay, well, let me, uh, even if you're still coming, anybody got me left? Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that uh, you give us true freedom in Christ. Bless us now as we look into your word to learn more about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for just a moment, greet one another in the name of the Lord, then we'll sing together.
invite you to take a Bible and turn to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. Be looking at verses 27 and following. Before I read it, John tells us at the end of his gospel letter what his purpose is. He says he writes these things, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life. So there's an agenda behind what we're reading, and that is that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have eternal life. Now the first part of this chapter we looked at, Uh, two or three Sundays ago, and that's the story of the woman at the well. Now, what I'm going to read is the continuation. It's really part two of a two-part story. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and in the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So ends the reading of God's word. Here in John 4, we have the story of the conversion uh, that takes place of this woman after a conversation that she has with Jesus. And now we'll also see that that conversion leads to many, many, many other people being converted to faith as well. I'll just remind you that this woman, she's never named in the story, just that she's a Samaritan, has come to this public well in the middle of the day, at the hot time of the day, when people typically do not draw water. And we won't go back through the whole story, but for many reasons, she's probably been coming there for years, and she comes at that time of the day, probably because of her reputation. She's been married five times, now she's living with a man who's not her, not her husband. Uh, so in that sense, she had a very colorful life, probably a lot of fodder for gossip around there in that, that small town. But she'd been trying to fill her life, with, in a sense, like those pots uh, of water. She'd been trying to fill them and find fulfillment and meaning, and she had not been able to do so. And Jesus offers her living water. Uh, The woman could not grasp what he was saying. We see that back in verse 15. All she could understand that if she could get this spring of water, 
which he promised, then she would not have to work so hard to travel each day to this well. And Christ goes in and talks to her. He, the Bible says that we are born into this world dead in our sins. We cannot figure life out without knowledge of Christ. We may try and do that. We may try and find fulfillment through all sorts of experiences, through material things or relationships or whatever it may be. That's what I tried to do, but it did not work. I recognized at a young age my problem of sin. I heard that the Bible said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I never doubted I was a sinner. The more I learned about God, the more sin I recognized in my own life, lust, anger, disobedience to parents, coveting what others had, lying, more, so forth. Then I heard about Christ's death on the cross. I came to know God, and that's what happened to this woman, the same thing. John 17 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So that's living water, to understand that, to believe that. Without Christ, if you are without Christ today, if you don't have faith in him, perhaps your life may be, as one person described it, that much of our activity these days is nothing more than a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. Well, that apparently was true in this woman, but she believes. She receives the living water. Now she goes back to town, and it tells us here in the opening verses that we read, beginning in verse 27, many, many of these men, she went back and spoke to the men, many of them believed. It's a wonderful account of spiritual awakening in the New Testament. Actually, it is the first account of an awakening in the New Testament. You say, well, what about Peter preaching at Pentecost? That was much later. This is the first account we have in the New Testament of a large number of people coming to faith in Christ. It's what we would call a revival. Not the kind of revival where you're driving through in the church marquee, you're driving through town, the church marquee says, revival beginning tonight, every night. Brother Billy Bob from wherever is coming to preach, you know, or every revival every night from 7 to 9. That is not revival in the Bible. Perhaps revival would take place. That's not what the scriptures say. Here's a definition of revival or an awakening. A revival or an awakening is a sovereign work of God where he quickens not just one person but many all at once and brings them into a living and vital relationship with himself and at the same time stirs the hearts of his people that they might be aflame with love and zeal for him. That's what biblical awakening or revival is. Well, let's look at this second part of the story about what kind of people God uses uh, for revival to happen. What's the instrument that God uses for the awakening in this, this city? Uh, it's this woman, this solitary woman whose life in a matter of moments has been dramatically turned around. She has found new life in Christ, and she tells others what Jesus has done for her. We might ask, what technique? I go to church growth conferences. I read books. I read the how-to type things. It's kind of funny at times to think you can transfer what happens in a large metropolitan city in one place and move it to any city regardless of its history or size. But what was the technique she used? Well, she did three simple things, three simple things. First, verse 29 says she pointed them to who Jesus is. Come, see a man who told me all the things I had done. And she had done some things. Perhaps some of you have similar testimonies. 
Your life perhaps was a mess. It wasn't coming together. You did not understand what life was all about, and nothing filled the thirst in your soul. And this woman tells that to these people and says, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I did. Surely this is the Christ, the Messiah, the long-expected Savior. So she points to him. That's the first thing. But then she also says what Jesus has done for her. Uh, she says, He told me everything I ever did. She tells the whole community about that. Uh, and it was extraordinary. Here, this woman who probably, we can only imagine, and it is imagination, that by nature, maybe she was defensive, maybe she was rather reserved about a personal life, but now she's telling everyone. Here's someone who uncovered the deepest secrets and recesses of my heart. He exposed what was there, and he exposed my need. And she says, if you come to him, you'll find him to be the same as I found him. That's all she did. Is that all it takes to be an effective witness for Christ? This was the person God uses to transform the city of Sychar. That was the name of the city. Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it doesn't take great eloquence to be a witness for Christ. It doesn't take a Ph.D. or seminary training or 20 years of Bible study to be able to tell someone what Jesus has done for you. Uh, it doesn't take a, a great deal of social standing or great moments or, or great amounts of education. This simple woman just told these others what Jesus had done for her. But what's most important is she did it out of a full heart. She, what she said came out of a heart that had fallen in love with Christ. And that makes a difference. Today people talk about, uh, well, I just want to be transparent. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. Well, what's more important than transparency is transformation. What they picked up was not just transparency. They picked up this woman's been transformed. She was enthusiastic. We think about missions. Our church has uh, a history of, of missions emphasis here. Most of you know we're involved in missions in many countries around the world. Um, and when we think about missions, we typically think about crossing some geographical barrier like an ocean, uh, some uh, barrier like a, the boundary to another country or crossing a linguistic barrier or something like that. But missions in its most basic form, if we reduce it down to its most basic element, is just speaking about Jesus here in the place where God has put you. That's missions in its most basic form. And that's what this woman does. She goes back to her own community, the people that knew her, and she tells them what, what, what Jesus had done for her. So, yes, we are to make disciples of all nations, but in order to be an effective witness for Christ, you do not have to go yourself to the uttermost parts of the world. God may call you to that. You may need only go to your neighbor who lives next door or the person who works in the cubicle down the hall from you and just speak and say, let me tell you what Christ has done for me. Let me tell you about how he's answered prayer in my life. Let me tell you about something that took place the other day. Nobody's threatened by that. No one's offended by that, just to tell them that. That's what God used in this situation, the testimony of this woman. And it isn't a great testimony. There are some fantastic testimonies through history, like John Bunyan, C.S. Lewis, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You read a lot of these testimonies, and they were dramatic. 
this woman basically says, let me tell you about a person who told me everything about me, about my life. The second thing I want to see here is the explanation of what now of Jesus gives about this revival. In verse 27, the disciples begin to show up. It's kind of like the camera goes back and forth. Jesus, first the disciples had left him to go get some food. He has a conversation with the woman. Now it comes back. The disciples are back now. And now it's going to shift back again to the town when the woman goes to the town. Well, they're concerned that he's not had lunch. It says in, I believe, verse 31, Rabbi, eat something. Well, that was good. That was honorable, not to be too hard on them. In other words, you want something to eat? Je- 